Welcome to Seizure Salad, Fuster Cluck Epilepticus. A salty, slightly cynical conversation about epilepsy, neurological disorders, and occasional random tangents. Together, we explore the synaptic jolts that short-circuit one's world and the mental and emotional fallout that comes from them. And if that sounds heavy, don't worry. We don't take ourselves too seriously. And now, Seizure Salad with your host and electrostatic meat sack, Micah indoors. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here at Seizure Salad Fuster Cluck Epilepticus. I'm Micah B-Sides, your host in Electrostatic Meat Sack. And I've got a really cool guest with us today. Going to talk to him a little bit and ask him some questions. We're talking with Dan McQueen. Dan McQueen from, you're from, uh, are you Are you in Canada? Good old Canada. It's uh, snow today, so I've got my couch and sweater on time in Vancouver, B.C. Nice. Vancouver, B.C. I love it. Uh, one of my guests who's been on a few times, Heather Hutchinson, she's living out in, in the Vancouver area, I think is San Juan Island. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah. And she's a great artist and musician. I'll send you some of her work. Please do. Um, so right on. Yeah, we're here in Colorado, and I'm right at the base of the uh, Front Range Foothills, oh. northern Colorado, just outside of Fort Collins. And uh, yeah, we've gotten that Arctic blast. So it's been negative. Oh, the other night it was negative 10, got up to two degrees in the daytime. And so we're dealing with a little bit of like that tundra shit. So, yeah, nice and yeah, cold. Was, uh, there was some snow last night. Not much, but I had to shovel the the walkway. I went out for a walk this morning and noticed the snow. I'm like, oh, I should probably shovel the walkway because in BC you're responsible for your your sidewalk in front of your your flat or in front of your, your place. So I did that in the driveway, and it was pretty minor snow to be honest. We don't get much. Uh, mostly rain, not so much snow. If you catch my right. joke. Right. Pacific Northwest. Exactly. I have family and friends up all along from Oregon, Washington, up into Canada, and they all say the same thing. It's snow is much less common than nice rain and in the wintertime, really cold rain. Well, the rain just kind of gets in and just makes you damp and cold. Like it's, I used to live in London, which rains a lot as well, but nothing compared to Vancouver. Vancouver is like another, because in London, if it rains, give it 10 minutes. And you might get a shift in weather pattern here. It's like if it rains, give it three days. Like you're not going anywhere without getting wet, bud. Yeah. Okay. So you know how the Eskimos have like like 40 plus different words for snow? Yeah. So I'm thinking and you guys have probably over the centuries developed like 40 different ways to describe rain. Like there's 40 plus different types of rain out there. I could say that, yeah. In Vancouver, it's usually pretty all-encompassing like i i used to be like i'm not gonna breeze an umbrella now i always bring an umbrella everywhere because it's like i'm not gonna be that idiot i just i don't know i don't i don't mind carrying i carry a backpack around so i got an umbrella with me like i'm i'm prepared you don't fail to plan you plan to fail that's what i say boom boom that's why in colorado you always bring four seasons worth of clothing with you put it in the back of your car or at least put two layers extra in the back of your backpack if you're if you're hiking and always nice. have a rain cover because you never know. And I mean, old Colorado saying, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes or travel five miles and it'll change. <laughs> so, and it, mostly, mostly. So, but we're not here to talk about weather or, or geography, geology, um, although it is interesting and we could probably talk about it all day. But uh, I, I invited Dan on because I want to hear more about his story. Dan's got an incredibly interesting story. At 28 years old, 
you were leading a healthy, active life. Uh, you went to an optometrist appointment to identify a cause of per persistent headaches, right? Yeah. And then you were cut short. So Dan was handed a sealed envelope and told to go directly to the hospital. And then, well, I want you to tell the rest of this one. What happened with you? And this was in London, right? In 2014. In London, England, jolly old. So yeah, I went to the optometrist. They told me to go directly to Moorfields Hospital, which I didn't necessarily do. I went home first to grab a Jack Reacher book by Lee Child and a phone charger and a bite to eat as I figured I'd be in for a bit of a wait. But I went to Moorfields Hospital. They ran the same test on us, but I made a chair and cross. It turns out I had a dangerous buildup of pressure in my brain caused from a non-cancerous cyst in my head. And they had to operate to move the cyst in my brain. So I kind of rallied, <laughs> put up the bat signal like, hey, guess what? I'm having brain surgery tomorrow to my folks in Canada. Um, they were going to come over to Vancouver, come over to London to be there when I woke up. Called my manager, messed a few friends, and then I went on the operating table. When I was on the operating table, I had a brain hemorrhage. And... My mom lands and finds I'm in critical condition. So I was in a coma for four weeks. <gasps> I was in and out of consciousness for months after this. So it was really, really like the, the abyss of like existence. I was there for four weeks. When I was in the ICU, they had to keep my core temperature down below 40 degrees. So I used ice blankets above and below me to keep my core temperature down. Oh, wow. This led to violent shivering. So this lasted on for a week. And when all of a sudden done, I was learning how to walk talk and smile again in the hospital. And so I had to rebuild my life from this hit, which was like, it flattened me. Like it, it absolutely f fucking flattened me, man. Like I was, I was dead to rights. I woke yeah. up in the hospital to see my mom, dad, and brother around the bed. And I'm trying to speak, but I can't speak. Cause I had a, uh, I was on a ventilator, uh, uh something they had like a that. tube in you, right? The, yeah. I couldn't, your... So they, they, they took the tube, out, so I couldn't talk. Mm -hmm. And I go, I'm trying to speak to them because I'm, I'm freaking out. And I point at my brother, I go, you, give me a pen and paper. And I write this down, I go, get me out of here. And I show it to Cam and I point at him like, dude, make it happen. He's like, yeah, man, I don't know what you want me to do. I couldn't, you were hooked up to so many tubes and hoses and you're, you know, you were on, it was in the hospital for months after this. Like I was just freaking out that like it was probably wasn't covered by insurance or like my nationality. So I'm like, let's get out of here, man. This looks bad. Oh, man. Do you remember being in the coma or being in and out of consciousness? Was there like this other world or this other like subconsciousness that you could remember? Or was it just nothingness? Yeah, I had some weird dreams, like really weird dreams. I remember being on a sub, a big sub that had an aquarium on the sub. And I was just thinking, why the hell do you have a buddy aquarium on a submarine when we're underwater to begin with? So I don't know, reading to that what you will. I tried to look that up maybe once on like a dream assessment blog or whatever, but like it, that's a weird one I had. I also had some weird dreams about like playing the game of life. And, uh, but no, it was mostly hazy and in and out of consciousness and fleeting memories of being like washed on a, on a, on a bed table, like in the hospital. Cause I was in a coma for a while and four weeks, man, it's not a short time. No, no, that's not a short time at all. And that's kind of one of the reasons I was wondering to be down that long is like what happens to that subconscious. What And so you kind of answered a question for me as far as like myself and other people who have lost it for a while. Sometimes the time just disappears. It's not there. It didn't happen. So in your brain, you're like, 
fucking eight hours ahead, uh, behind everybody else because like the seizure hits so hard, you know, yeah. so you just lose that amount of time. And in, in, in an overall view, I guess I'm kind of interested theoretically and spiritually about if that has something to do with the other world, you know, or other dimension or other side or, or what have you. Cause I'm not atheist by any means. I'm agnostic. I know there's yeah. something out there. I just don't think any of us really have it down yet. But, I'd say I'm the same as well. Like I'm not, I'm not religious, but I'm agnostic for sure. And I don't, I'm not against anything. Like it's just, I don't prescribe anything that's out there right now. Right. A lot of ways to, to the top of the mountain and from the top, everything is, is the same. The view's the same. So, um, so that was the first time and you had to learn to walk and talk and even smile again. How does that first smile feel like rough, man? Yeah. I'm still not like my smile is not tuned just yet. Like I have to look in the mirror for a long time and be like, how do you like smiling like this? And I'm like, it looked like it's such a, like some photos of me from when I first came into the hospital, like it was very grimacy smile. Like I wasn't flying on all cylinders here, man. So like it was a pretty rough smile to begin with, but it's very humbling, right? Like you lose everything. Like I remember being in the hospital and being taught myself. They taught me how to dry myself from the shower. You had to take the towel and bring it over your back and dry yourself like this. Right. Like, like Jesus, man. Like I'm learning how to dry myself as a 28 year old man in a fucking hospital in, in, in London. Like, you're leveled. You got nothing. And like to get into the wheelchair took 40 minutes, then 35, then 30, then 35, then 30. Like it was an arduous climb to get back out of this hole that I found myself in. And it was every day just kind of going in there with this mindset of like, I can do this. I can do this. You know, I really prescribe this idea of this Epictetus is a stoic idea of it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. Yep. And I yep. believe that fully. And I, I knew that this was a mental game more than a, like a physical game, if that makes sense. Like I knew like it was how I thought about it that mattered more than what it was. Yes. And I that's, know what you mean. that's the game for me. Like I'll share one story with you if you don't mind. Oh, not at all. Learning to walk in tune Broadway that really kind of showcases this perspective shift and how I harness this to kind of allow me to, to prescribe or to, to, to persevere and kind of move forward with this. And that's walking in tune Broadway. So tune Broadway is, is in South London and it's what they call up and coming which means it's dodgy as think loud sirens, dirty, grimy, <laughs> hectic. It's a busy spot. Yeah. I'm walking with a cane. I'm walking with an eye patch. I'm Bambi on ice. I turn the corner, immediately get slammed into by someone. And I stagger back a few feet. Someone scurries past me on the right-hand side. Someone's been stabbed over here. I'm kind of dancing around him. I'm like, this is a wild place to learn how to walk, man. This place sucks to walk. Why am I learning to walk in the worst place to learn how to walk in the world? And after a few days of this, I was feeling like, this sucks, dude. This is the worst. And then one day my perspective shifted. Maybe this isn't the worst. Maybe this is the best. If I can walk here, I can walk anywhere, right? Right. Now, Tune Broadway didn't change. It's still up and coming as far as I'm aware today. Tune Broadway, I got lots of love for you. But it went from the worst to the best in my mind, and my mood reflected that. And I call that hack constructive optimism. That's me, like, I'm mindfully thinking about this. Like, how can I make this? How can I turn down the suck? I say, how can I turn yeah. down the suck? And like, just is the worst. No, it's the best, but that's the kind of the mindset I brought on board with this. And it's like um, a good example to show you how your mind can help you navigate a difficult situation. Because 
what you think about it is more important than what it is. And when I look forward to those walks, I, I relish that, that contact, that strife, that struggle. You're making me better by going through this. And that's kind of what I, it's what I enjoy. Turning down the suck. I like how you say that being grateful when you can't visibly or mentally at the moment have anything to be grateful for the, the idea, the hack of turn down the suck and shift your mind a little bit. It sounds more achievable. Yeah. Like it's just like a practical way you can just reframe obstacles you're facing to address them and, and, and overcome them. It's like, this is what I'm facing right now. It's not my fault, but it's my responsibility to learn to walk into Broadway. And I can't change that. This is what I'm given. How can I impact this at all? Well, I can change how I think about it right now. I think it's the worst, but maybe it's not the worst. Maybe it's the best. And that perspective shift is so key because you control that. When you don't enjoy what you're doing, when you really, it's very arduous or very, very difficult to do what you want to do. Like you don't want to do that, but when you enjoy it and you bring it on, like post-traumatic growth, like post-traumatic stress, but kind of the opposite where you kind of level up when you have an, when you have an issue and you kind of relish these challenges and these strifes, like, I'll give you another example here. Um, I lost my job this past summer. I was working in tech for nine years at Hootsuite. I got nothing but love for Hootsuite. They treat me right during this process. But I was there for nine years and I lost my job. And I gave myself a lunch, had a few margaritas. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to become a motivational speaker today. I'm going down to get a computer now. And I'm going to get after this tomorrow. So I picked up a computer that day and, and managed to knock it out. Now backtrack it up. Like the first setback I had, the brain hemorrhage in 2014, that took me maybe a month to get over. Mm-hmm. I had a second setback after I got back to work, which I don't think I've told you about. That took no. me about a week to route, like to reframe that to like understand how to navigate this. But this this loss this summer took me an afternoon, a lunch. Because when you can fast track yourself to acceptance, you can look to take proactive steps to improve your lot. Mm-hmm. If you can accept it, you can fix it. You can't, if you don't accept it, you're never going to be able to make peace with it and you're never going to be able to move forward with it. But acceptance is so key for this. Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you said there, where the first setback in 2014 took you long time, right? Long time, months, months. But the second setback took you about a week. And why did it take you a week? Because you had already worked up the techniques, skills, and stuff that works best for you and applied them to the situation. If you can make it through one traumatic incident, and if you can take stock of how you did that, then your ability to make it through the next crazy life experience is that much better. The chances of, of making it are that much better. So that's progress in itself. Yeah, it was a big, it was a big mindset shift. And it was like, I can't, I talk about my recovery is like a W, like the first knocks this big, big, big drop, right? I get back to work and I'm kind of like pretty much back to square one. And then I have the second setback about a year later. And I don't drop to the first level of desperation. I drop much deeper than that. I call mm-hmm. this the depths of the human experience where you're like your thoughts and your dreams are snickered out. Like, oh, you thought you were back, but ha ha ha. You were back at work. Oh, you were pretty close to being back to normal life. Oh, you thought you were close there, man. Yeah, ha ha, close. And man, you are just down and out for that. And I can't tell you how difficult that is, but it's like, yeah. You know, you start to piece this back together and you realize I've done this before. I know how to build back better. And you start getting to work. And I call work, chop wood, carry water. And I just say, you know, whenever I feel down, I'm like, you know, get back to work, chop wood, carry water, meditate, go for a walk, go work out, chop wood, carry water. 
and just control what I can control and build back to what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Chop wood, carry water. Those two things right there, fire and water, those are the two things that we rely on in so many different ways. And it's kind of basic right there. Yeah. And what you're talking about here relates to me and quite possibly a lot of my audience that goes through epilepsy because we're not guaranteed. And I'm sure it's like you too. It's our conditions. It's not like, okay, we're going to cure this. It's okay. We're going to figure out a way that you can manage this for as long as you can. And so it's going to be, you know, medications, sometimes surgeries, the light at the end of the tunnel is much further away from for some than it could be for others. Yeah. Uh, if you don't set your goals right, and and sometimes if yeah you don't have those basics, so chop chop wood carry water is a great way to think of approaching those daily practices. They're going to help minimize any chance for like our seizures to come back. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So what you're going through is long-term, whether or not, you know, you still chop wood and carry water, right? Everything. Whenever I go through anything in life now, it's just chop wood, carry water, like get to work, man. Like what can I control? Let's focus on that and punt everything else. Yeah. And that's yeah. just kind of how I approach life is like, look, I can control this. I can't control that. Then don't worry about that. Focus on what you control and focus on that. Mm-hmm. I just had surgery um, uh, last, last week, last week my eye trying to correct double vision which i still have so okay. i get the pleasure of seeing two of you but it's quite <laughs> you poor debilitating man. and quite fatiguing to have that always kind of going right so i had surgery on the eyes to correct that now and that's like what i can control and it's improved it. it's still there i've still got two of you don't worry i get two of you but it, it used to be like this and now it's kind of like this i think we're gonna have surgery on the other eye now we're gonna try and make it like this and then hopefully power one vision but um right it's ongoing and it's not, there's no finish line in sight, but it's, it's improving every day. I'm trying to be better than yesterday. And that's something I always try to strive for. Nice. And I just focus on that. Make today better than it was yesterday and every day with that. And then, you know, 1%, 1%, 1% before you know it, you're, you're miles ahead of where you were like last year, this time last year. You developed a lot of tools, obviously. You got stuff that you've picked up and that you've developed through your own stuff. Life hacks. You know, everybody knows that term, life hacks. So one of the things I noticed is you developed different hacks called, and and you kind of label them under better than yesterday. That was one of the hashtags that really stood out to me because I always, I, I came to the realization through my last four years that I can't expect it to come all at once. And I have to be happy or I should be happy but I now I now I choose to be happy for those days that things were better than yesterday. Yeah, that's very true. And I've got a lot of life, life, life hacks here that kind of help me navigate the world. Um, one that I'll share with your with your audience is uh, a very basic one. I shared this yesterday on a podcast as well. It's called I call this icebreakers. Icebreakers. So icebreakers. So it's not like a like a like a social icebreaker. It's like an actual icebreaker going through the ice. Oh, okay. So when you're walking in a city. Now, London's a busy city. Colorado, maybe not as much as London. Vancouver, certainly not. It's a much more relaxed approach to life here. But you'll find yourself in a busy environment at times. And with a traumatic brain injury, as I imagine, with the seizures as well, epilepsy as well, like stimulation can be quite a lot to take on. Oh, yeah. And if you're not in a mindset to deal with that strife, it can be a lot and quite fatiguing. 
What an icebreaker is is someone walking in your direction at your speed and you slot in behind them and you let them break the ice for you. So they're dealing with the head-on traffic and you're just slotting right behind them and you're drafting off them to kind of coast through the traffic and let them deal with the brunt of stuff. And this works in every situation, like a couple, a pram, like a, 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 a stroller. stroller. Pram. You were going to say pram. Um, I know. Yeah. Stuck in my UK lingo. Uh, <laughs> but like it, it kind of works to help you take this, the strain off you, turning down that suck. Nice. And so basically it's like, instead of being overwhelmed, look for the opportunities in there. Yeah. Look for the ways you can get through that the most, yeah, without, with, with the least amount of stress. That's what I'm trying to and say. It's like a game, right? Like it's a gamification. You're like icebreakers. Like this is kind of fun. Like try and find an icebreaker. You can make life like a game, like a gamification play, having some play involved in this. Like it, it makes it a, like a tolerable. You start looking at like, well, I can, I can draft off this person or icebreak behind them for a little while. And then you can ease off the strain here. And like, you're taking little wind where you can get them and like you're, you're powering up. Gamification is a huge part of this. And it's kind of like, I was on a, I was on a podcast for a, a gamer podcast yesterday. And I'm not a gamer by any stretch, but I used to play Mario Kart. Yeah. And that's, Kart, that was a game back in the day when I was growing up, like that was the game I played. And just like learning from these fields, you know, if you go through a lap and you realize there's, there's obstacles on the left-hand side, well, next lap, don't go to the left-hand side. But if you consistently yeah. go to the left-hand side, it's like, I can't help you, man. Like you've known for four laps, there's obstacles on the left. Don't go to the left there. Drive around that crap. And then like you learn, and but you learn by failing sometimes. Like I fail all the time. But rarely do I fail the same thing more than twice. Hopefully I learn and improve and iterate, but not always, but more often than not than I do. But you got to kind of have fun with this. Understand how you can make it better. And like these little hacks that you make up, they make a difference. Like that constructive optimism hack. That's yeah. one of the best ones I've ever had was that constructive optimism one. Because like that made walking again tolerable for me. Before it was like, this is horrible. This is horrific. This sucks. This is the worst place to walk in the world. No, man, it's the best. And when that shift happens in your mind, you can deal with any strife, any struggle, any adversity. Like you can take it on because bring it on, man. This is the best place to learn to walk in the world. Yeah. Functional opt. Is that what it is? Functional optimism. Is that the hack you said? Constructive optimism. Constructive yeah, optimism. Same sort of thing. Like just like, like it, it's like not being blindly optimistic, but like using the optimism to kind of help you navigate this to get through the strife. Yeah, um, yeah. That's okay. not like blindly just saying like, oh, it's all rainbows and butterflies because that's not true. Life's not rainbows and butterflies. But if you can look at certain situations, like, well, maybe this isn't the worst. Maybe this is the best. It's not saying it's like happy-go-lucky, rose-colored glasses. Just looking at like, well, what if I look at it from this perspective? Maybe it's not the worst. Right, right. So, and and it's not it's not really the same as as finding or a assuming the best or, or finding the positive out of the negative because you've already branded it and put it in two separate categories. It's more like, what can we do with the reality of the situation? And what I like about what your, your approach on this is, is that you're taking away a lot of the subjective feeling about it, at least temporary, you know, um, and you're looking at it 
objectively as as a person it's like how can i make this constructive and you don't use the words good or bad you know so there's no shame or ego being stroked it's it's it is what it is it is what it is and that's the best way to describe it because like it's not fair this happened to you none of this is fair but like i always say and what what do you expect to have happened like do you want the roll of the pity party here like yeah, this is very difficult for you to overcome. I'm so sorry this happened to you. It's like, no, no one gives a shit, man. Not to be like blunt, but like no one's coming to rescue you. You got to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and make your way through this. Like no one's coming to save you, man. And when you get that in your mind, like, look, I'm the captain of my ship. I've got to navigate through these choppy waters here. Like then you realize, Hey, no one's coming. This is on me. It's all on me. It's like this Jocko Willing thing. It's, um, uh, what does he say? Discipline equals freedom, not discipline equals freedom. It's um, accountability. Like everything's on him and everything is on him, which I think just suffocates any whining, any complaining. It's, it's my fault. It's my fault. Good. He's so got this great YouTube video called Good, if your users want to look that up. And he just talks about this, this mindset of like anything bad that happens, you, you automatically goes, good, I can do this. I can resolve this. I'll share one story with you, if you don't mind. Uh, going to the cafe in London, um, this is this is a great story because it showcases how this mindset permeated my vibe. Uh-huh. Right, so I'm going to the cafe. I've got my headphones. Noise canceling babies right here. I love these things. Nice. Kind of tuned down the nose from outside, but I was walking outside just outside my house, maybe halfway down the block. It goes boo boo, power off. And I go shit. Then I go good. I'm close by my house. I can charge up my headphones. Had I been in the cafe, I would have been dead for two hours. But now I can go back and get my charger and charge these up. But that instantly, like my head just went like I was instantly like good. And I was like, oh, this is this this stuff works, man. This is cool. But like when you start looking at stuff from that perspective, it just makes life easier. And like, I don't know, I want to have a good life. I want to live good. I want to be happy. No time to be like mad, upset, or angry. Like just just fix it. Just focus on what the solution is and just deal with it. Like, I don't know. And, and this doesn't mean that the feelings hit you. I mean, the feelings are going to hit you, whether it's anger, fear, frustration, whatever. It's going to hit you. But if you develop these hacks, they start to hit you less and less. But you're also able to take a breath and be like, no. No, ancient brain, this isn't a fight or flight situation. We can navigate through this. And that's kind of how I feel. It's like, because we fall back on our emotions so many times. And a lot of it is because it's a reaction to the brain who's basically programmed us still to react as if we were still in that survival mode, you know, from our ancestors. I almost say the onus is on us to develop it and to use that quote unquote higher mind that man is blessed with. And, uh, Train your body and train the other parts of your mind to be like, no, no, that's not the situation here, which isn't to say that the primal brain doesn't have its benefits. I mean, if there's a train careening toward you, you don't be like, well, this could be a constructive. It's like, <laughs> oh, shit, get the fuck out of the way now. <laughs> but that's that's external forces. Yeah, that's external forces making their way into you. This is totally different. The inside stuff. It it really is um, you training the anxiety and and everything in your mind 
to react differently and it's reprogramming. So I like that. Reprogramming is a good way to describe it because you are changing the way you you want your mind to think about stuff. And you say, no, 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 it's this. Every time something like that happens, no, 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 it's this. And just keep doing that. And eventually just, it'll like good. Oh, this is a good thing. Not a bad thing. It's like, oh, cool. Like I didn't think about that until now. Now I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I like this. This is like one of those pre-steps. This is an ex- exceptionally outward way of expressing what's actually going on inside of our heads involuntarily. But by owning it and verbalizing it, then it's solidifying it and also making it blossom and move faster because other people are hearing it. Okay, that was a tangent. You can tell I took a lot of hallucinogenics in my college years. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) College is for. Exactly. Exactly. It's not for the degree. So I saw something. I'm changing changing gears just a little bit. I saw something about naked walks. Naked walks. Yeah. Yeah, Sounds interesting. What's this about? Yeah. So naked walks sounds pretty raunchy it's not that uh not that scandalous but it's got a good term so yeah, naked walks are walking without supporter aids because initially i was in a wheelchair moved up to the zimmer frame move up to what i called the ferrari to walking into broadway to naked walks that's just walking without supporter aids i was walking naked the term mm-hmm. kind of stuck it was a long road down to get to the naked walk but man i was just happy to move it Got a great video clip of me kind of jonesing around the parking lot of the Wolfson, just kind of vibing up. But I'm walking without anything, man. It's a fantastic feeling to walk without support rates. So that's what I call the naked walk. Again, gamification of this. I'm having fun. Like, let's call it a naked walk. That's kind of provocative. People are like, what, you're doing a naked walk? What's this? Like, well, it's just relax. It's walking without support rates most of the time. <laughs> Sometimes the naked walks are naked. So- <laughs> You don't have to answer that. Yeah. <laughs> what? There is so much about this. I, I, I'm having a great time. Uh, so we covered naked walks. Now, there's a story you asked me to talk about real quick. Dropping the nurse call button. Oh, yeah. So this was uh, – so in order to walk in, I had to wear a splint. And a splint's like a cast you wear over your leg. Right, so it's like you cast you over your leg and they wrap it up with um, uh, bandage tape. Uh-huh. And the first night I wore the splint, no issue for the night, no issue of problems. It'll be easy, I thought it'll be easy. The second night after 20 minutes it was dread painful. After 30 it was dreadful. After 40 it was unbearable. We take the splint off with 40 minutes on the table. Oh, it's like a whole bunch of rats gnawing on your leg. It was just like this excruciating pain on your leg. Whole goal was to stretch the leg muscle. But I told him, you know what? We can do an hour tomorrow. I can handle it. It's fine. Do an hour tomorrow. Put it on the board. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, we'll do it. It's fine. The next night, they wrap it up. Give me the nurse call button, the clicker. Set the time for one hour. And after 10 minutes, it's painful. After 20 minutes, it's dreadful. After 30, the rats are back. And it's like a full-on harvest on my leg. I'm like, this is excruciating. We're doing this for an hour? This is insanity. This is insanity. How are we doing this for an hour? Start passing the clicker back and forth. Trying to distract myself from the pain. I'm having games here, right? I've still got double vision, which, you know, at the time was worse than it is now. 
So I can't really see much of this. And as the pain ratchets up, my throws get more enthusiastic until eventually, inevitably, I drop the clicker. Oh, and it falls off the bed. And I look over the edge of the bed, and those hospital beds, man, are three and a half feet off the ground, and it's hard linoleum floor it drops onto. Ooh, I can shit. see the solution of my problem right there, the clicker. That's my way out is from that clicker. I can, I can end this pain if I get the clicker. But if I drop down, I might break my arm. In fact, I did some logical – this is logical. I kind of guesstimated if I drop down, I might, might break my arm. In fact, I figured about a 50-50 chance of me breaking my arm. 50-50 chance of me breaking my arm. Uh-huh. I'm pawing at my, my splint trying to untie it, but it's tied up to the ankle, not at the, the, the hip. Help. Help, I yell. The nurses can't hear me on the other side of the ward. So I resigned to drop down and grab the clicker, risking my arm. You know, I crashed down in a heap. There's blankets, there's wires, there's cables. The arm holds. And I nice. hammer the clicker, expecting the nurses to come burst in to come to my rescue like the bat signal's been put up, but no. They kind of strolled in five minutes later. Oh, what are you doing on the floor? Uh, let's not worry about that to tell them. Let's get the splint off my leg, please, and I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> but there's some lessons we learned from this experience, right? Like the first being, you know, let's not pass the clicker back and forth. That's, you know, the first one, duh. But the second one being, let's tie the splint up at the hip, not at the ankle. That way I can undo this should this happen again. Yeah. Certain monster learnings, but they're better than yesterday kind of vibes. You're, you're, you're stacking these wins. And if you can be better than yesterday, you can improve your lot day in, day out and avoid these, these acute angles, I call them. Mm-hmm. And avoid these pinch points where you're going to have a problem. So if I don't pass the clicker back and forth, that's one. Great. If I if I do drop the clicker for some reason, at least I can untie it now at the hip. So yeah. you're stacking these learnings, right? But that that was like a, a very arduous and, and stressful time because it felt like my leg was in a cast full of rats gnawing on my leg muscle and I couldn't move it. I couldn't undo it. So I risked breaking the arm to grab this bloody clicker and it was like 50-50 ch- chance in my mind, I'm breaking my arm. And I'm like, let's do it, man. This is horrible. Yeah, screw it. Let's do it. Damn, man. But that's another way of, of like gamification. When, when, you re- when you were reflecting on it, at least, it was like, okay, here we go. Um, man, I love this because, because it, it, the, the idea of gamification in your rehabilitation or your progress on your condition, because there's some who have long-term chronic stuff that, you know, they don't necessarily give you a recovery necessarily, but, but gamification can make it all. It can make it all the, during the process. So I love this. It just like, just turns down the sucky aspects of things. Like, yeah, it sucks, man. Of course it sucks. But like, maybe you can have fun in this sucky situation because you're in the situation no matter what. You can either have fun or you can just be woes me about it. And I just chose to have fun with it and like make it like this is wild. This is a wild situation, man. Like in the hospital, you're in a walk-in. Like this is a once in a lifetime, hopefully, experience. Well, it was twice for me. Once learning how to walk in, but a couple times in the hospital. I've been a number of times. But like you're learning about this stuff and you just kind of absorb it. Like this is an experience I'm going to have. I'm never going to forget this. This is my one time here. Let's make it as positive as we can yeah i like that man i like that i like that uh we are running low on juice um 
I have no idea what the fuck that means. Actually, we're running low on time. I'll I'll cut that part out. But uh, <laughs> there were two. There's two more things before we have to go. Sure. Uh, that I want to hear about the uh, hairy goals. Okay. Um. Swallow the hairy frog. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us okay. about that. So swallow the hairy frog is a momentum for me. And I'll give you the backstory of what swallow the hairy frog means. So I used to live in London and I used to go for swims Monday morning before work. So I'd bring my bag. Um, it was a big process, two big bags. I'd, go, I'd wake up at like five o'clock in the morning, go for a swim, come into the office. And I was coming down the, the lift on my, on my way out. My HR manager goes, what's all these bags for? What do you got all this stuff here for? I'm like, well... I went for a swim this morning before work and she goes, oh, you swallowed the hairy frog. And I go, excuse me? She goes, yeah, you swallowed the hairy frog. And I go, that's, that's not a thing. That's, that's a made up terminology. That's not a real thing that you've done here. <laughs> so swallow the frog is an expression. Hair of the dog is an expression. She's combined the two. So <laughs> I call the swallowed hairy frog now from now on because it's doing the most difficult task in the morning first. And I made her this lovely mug that's got this lovely picture of a hairy frog combing his back to remind her of the shit she talks. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was kind of fun to have this. And it's like a momentum hack. And that's yeah. if you have to do something difficult, do it first thing in the morning, do it first thing before you get your day bogs you down and attack it full on. That's swallow the hairy frogs. I like that. I really like that. So is this the same thing, which is what I was going to ask you second? about the hack morning routine that you do? No, so that's different. So morning routines, like for me, I find that mornings are my time to do, I have a routine, like I'll wake up, go for exercise, um, go for a shower, and shower cold, meditate. I start my day every day the same way because I'm, re I'm booting up, I'm sequencing up, putting on my armor. And when I do that, I find that I have a good day. I read Tim Ferriss' books, Tool of, Titans, Tools of Titans. Uh -huh. In that, he said that the 80% of those top performers have a morning meditation practice or like a morning routine. So I jiggled it around and made my morning routine mine. And the first thing I do in the morning, the first thing I do in the morning is make my bed. And that's one thing your listeners can do tomorrow. I like that. I like that. That's the one thing. I, I have no morning routine right now, and that's actually something that's been in the back of my mind, one of the reasons why why uh, that stuck in my head there. Uh, but you just saying that makes me feel better because I do, that's the one routine I do every day is make my bed. It's so I like guess a simple task you do, but like it, it's a big symbol of like your life, and it's make the bed... You accomplish the first task in the morning. You pave the way for more success. The last thing you do in the day is get into bed. Hey, I accomplished that in the morning. Like it, it seems basic and simple, but like it's a symbol for your life. And if you yeah. start up on the right foot, at least I made my bed. And then you get into bed in the morning. At nighttime, you're like, hey, I made the bed in the morning. That's like a win. And it makes the room look tidy when the bed's made as well, which is another hack that I use too because my room's not always the tidiest. <laughs> Nice, dude. It sounds like you got you've developed some good skills about this. I'd love to talk to you more about it, man, for sure. So let's keep in touch, and uh, we'll catch you next time we catch up. If you're down for coming back, 
Sounds good, man. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate you. You too, man. Take care of yourselves. Take care of the people you love and don't be too good. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. You know the routine. Drive fast, take chances, and unexpect the expected. Oh, and don't forget, it's all in your head. Be good to yourselves. This is to my sick kids. Time to flip this shit. Depakote, Adderall, Ritalin, Pixie Sticks. I don't give a fuck what you're riding to the setting sun. Use it as a weapon when it's said and done. It's all too much. Caesar Salad Fuster Clock Epilepticus is produced and hosted by Michael Ball. Original logo and graphic designed by Alba Lopez. The song Seizure Boy, courtesy of Watsky, and used with permission. Find more great music and poetry on his website, georgewatsky.com. Follow our podcast, like our Facebook page, whatever blows your hair back. Just keep listening and join us again soon for another episode of Seizure Salad. Until then, remember to unexpect the expected. It's all in your head. Take a minute to sit at the whip and then I'm gonna mash on gas. Cause I'll be crashing that impasse with fat ass syntax. Skinny motherfucker off a bucket of slim fast.